Hi, this is Nick Freitas, and welcome back to Making the Argument. With us today, a very special guest. Met this guy a while back, and I got to tell you, he's got an interesting uh, background. His beer game is incredible. I mean, that's... I'm going to say that's half the reason he's on right now, if I'm being perfectly honest. But what what I find most interesting is we have so many people in our audience that have asked about the problems within the school system. And then they've asked about how do you, how do you break away? Like what, what is the, what are the real alternatives out there? And we don't just mean alternatives for, for rich people, right? What are, what are the alternatives for everyone out there if they want to explore something that might be better for their children? And so today we are privileged to have Matt Boudreau with us because he has spent a lot of time on this question. He has worked within the public school system and he is now working on an incredibly interesting project, which has seen just amazing results across the board. So Matt, thanks for being with us here today. Honor is mine, man. And I think you, you could have dropped the mic right there with the beard game. We could have stopped there. That's the product of having to start shaving when you're 11 uh, <laughs> you know, and, and having nothing else to hang your hat on at that point. So I can go zero to Al-Qaeda on this thing in, in about 12 seconds. But. <laughs> Yeah, man. No, it's a pleasure. Hey, I, I I remember being that seventh grader that had to had to shave, and and I remember totally. my school telling me I had to shave my goatee. I was like, "This is all I got, man. This is all I got. <laughs> this is it, dude." I was four, you know. I was uh, I was eleven, and I was like four foot nine, you know. So I'm like, "This is all like me and." Like my Geraldo impersonation is strong. That's all I've got to bring to this. <laughs> Well, Matt, if you could, for the audience, give us a little bit about about your background, about kind of where where you came from, um, and and you know, again, going leading into like where where you are now. Yeah, I'll give you kind of the give you the high level, and we can unpack any you know any part of this you want. So I always tell people my my I'm a career educator, and and people automatically think schools, and I'm very quick to say no, no, I'm a, I'm an educator. School and education are not the same thing in my mind, uh, not only are they not the same thing, a lot of times they are, uh, they're completely opposed to one another. So I always tell people my, my education career started when I was four in kindergarten and I started to figure out that there was a game being played in school. And so uh, I figured that out, meaning I got straight A's all through school, all through high school, all through college, all through grad school. I always had A's because I knew the game, not because I'm that smart, because I knew the game. Um, but after turning down a job at the White House, uh, post-graduation, I went, cool. Now what? I'm good at girls and I'm good <laughs> at sports. That's it. Like I know how to play school, but that's not getting me a job. So now where do I go? So, you know, a series of odd jobs ultimately landed me uh, as a young buck at Stanford University where I started seeing the game from the inside out. So worked at Stanford for quite a bit, got to work in all the different departments, including admissions, naively thought, well, I'll go change and help, you know, the younger generation. Uh, before they get to be this age, became a public school teacher in California, a public school administrator, a private school teacher, private school administrator, which is why I ultimately left to go, okay, I need to start something my kids can actually go to. Um, I know too much at this point to want to send them anywhere else. So I started building schools uh, in California for my kids, first and foremost, simultaneously. Uh, a speaking career took off where I started speaking and consulting with the biggest organizations on the planet who were bringing me in because they were saying, hey, we've got all these amazingly smart young people from Harvard and Stanford and MIT, and they're all really, really smart, and they suck, and we want to fire all of them. Why? What's the deal? So I start talking to them. I get to bring that information back to the schools we're building, um, and I just kept building schools, man, and, and eventually connected with my friend Tim Kennedy, who many of the listeners will know, 
Tim and I started a mentorship program, which is now, it was originally just for young men. That's now moved on to, uh, we have programs for men, for women. We're building out the young ladies. And then Tim and I are launching another 50-ish K through 12 campuses all over the US and Canada and Australia in the fall of 2024. So all that to say, I have not been hurting for things to do for the last two decades. <laughs> no, that's incredible. And, and yeah, I, I first uh, I first heard of Tim Kennedy. Obviously, um, I, I used to be an SF guy. Tim was an SF guy. But when he was uh, when he was competing in MMA, the company I worked for was one of his uh, sponsors. So uh, Bruce Parkman oh, over there at NEK and and whatnot. But um, cool. and and you you also uh, you also dabble in some kickboxing and MMA yourself, right? Yeah, I did, man. I grew up as a grew up as a kickboxer. If any old school fans of like old Van Damme movies, there was a great Van Damme movie. When I say great Van Damme movie, I know <laughs> relative, great Van, relative. <laughs> in the same sense. But uh, there was a Van Damme movie um, called Kickboxer, where he goes to Thailand. Right, his brother gets uh, crippled by this guy, and so the guy that plays his brother is from my hometown in California. That was my kickboxing coach growing up. Oh wow. So, he was a world heavyweight champ at the time. So um, I, I kickboxed as a young man and then uh, got the bug on that whole mixed martial arts thing early, did nine fights in the cage as well. Nothing to the level of Tim, obviously, but yeah, I got to dabble a little bit. Good experience. Wow. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, well, let's, let's start with this um, because again, you, you were, you were very much in the system. Um, yeah. So this, this is not something where, where you're coming out this, uh, you know, theoretically, like you, you got to see it firsthand. And, and here's one thing I want to do right off the bat. So, so we can set the proper tone of this because I I've seen you talk about this. You and I have talked about this and, and you are always very, very adamant that you are, you are not here attacking individual teachers or individual administrators. And that there's, there's a lot of good people that are, are trying to be a, a force for good within this system and so as people are listening to us have this conversation, they should not conclude from this that this is some sort of an attack on teachers. I will be very clear about that to my dying day. Um, not only do I know for a fact firsthand that there are phenomenal people in the public schools and in private schools, because I am going to lump them together in that model that I call the conveyor belt model. Um, so when I speak about the conveyor belt model, I will always and forever support the good humans that are there. In fact, knowing what I know, public school, government schooling, it's not going away. So since it's not going away, and since it is the thing that a lot of young people will experience, I want good people in our public schools, in our private schools, in those conveyor belt models. I support them. I love them. And with equal measure, I'm completely against the system that they are involved in. So it's that's okay. Both of those. Yeah. So, so let, let's talk about this a little bit. Um, the, let's talk about the system first. Cause there's a lot of things I want to talk about from, you know, curriculum to the purpose of the system, to the results, to the way that they measure success. Like all of those things are a part of it, but the system yeah. itself, um, I, I remember I was trying to explain it to somebody once. And I said, look, the, the, the problem that I have is that, this to me, this seems like a mass production approach to education, and so you're going to get mass production results. It's not. It's not built with your child in mind. It couldn't possibly be. Why would you? First of all, would you agree with that characterization? Would you? Would you describe it differently? And and why do you think it is that way? Well, I know that's that way from uh, for a fact, and I'm actually looking for a quote right here. So there is somebody that I'm going to recommend that I always 
uh, go to when I when I have these conversations because there was a man named John Taylor Gatto, and I think you and I have talked about. It. Have you read anything from John at all? I, I yeah, well, I haven't read. I've I've read a lot of like excerpts and things like that, but I have not dug okay. deep into into Gatto yet, and I need to. I highly recommend that anybody, and I'm I'm looking for this quote, and I'll, I'll see if I can if I can find it, I'll read it directly. But if not, it's it's uh it's okay because we'll get the gist of it. So. Um, I'm coming at this from a historical standpoint as well as a practical I was in it standpoint. I can't I can't find it, but um, John Taylor Gatto will do it more justice than I ever will. He was the foremost historian on education. And by the way, he was also speaking of it from experiencing it from the inside. You're talking two-time New York State public school teacher of the year. The man was in the system for 30 plus years. And then he went viral in 1991, I believe he retired. And he said, um, he said, I quit, I think. And, and he wrote this article that the New York Times ended up publishing. And he was talking about how once he understood what was going on and once he started getting in trouble more and more for being uh, creatively insubordinate, mm -hmm. we will say, um, he realized he was part of a system that was designed to harm children. Not just this system is not designed for children. He said, this is designed to harm children. And so he put out so many books, materials that you can find for free PDFs online um, that he goes into the system or the history of the system of like, why do we do this? It is a management system for human beings to build an, a, an obedient population. It is the scientific management of people to get a population of obedient worker bees that will go into the industrial revolution and just do what they are told. Pavlov's dog, the bell you know, rings and, and they move on to the next task. They don't question what they're told. They don't get into the workforce early enough to, to really be, you know, innovators. They learn that they are not the creators of their own destiny. They acquiesce to that. They become apathetic to it. They hand over the pen and they say, write my story for me. That is the point. That is why Rockefeller, you know, poured in with the equivalent of $1.3 billion dollars into this system years ago and said, I want a nation of workers, not a nation of thinkers. And somebody said, well, what are you going to teach them? He says, I'll teach them much about nothing. It's a false faux education. And so that's what it was historically designed for. So when Horace Mann and all these guys brought this over, it was intent on putting that as a population. The thing is, even if you don't know the history behind it, which I Teachers are not given John Taylor Gatto's work when you go get your teaching credentials. Yeah, no, they're given critical I, pedagogy. They don't say that. They don't show you John's work because if you did, you would have a whole lot of teachers that would leave before they even got started, right? So there's the history part, and then there's the logical part. That was where I started questioning. I didn't start questioning from the historical standpoint. Yeah, I started in you and I both know California, I was in Stockton area, right? So I'm in Stockton with these rough, some rougher young people. I've got a brilliant young man in front of me who truly is brilliant, great character. I mean, extraordinarily intelligent. He's being raised by a couple gangbangers. And when he gets home, he's got to go on the porch. He's got to go sell to him. He's got to go sell drugs. Yeah. And we're being told he needs algebra. And I'm like, no, 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 no. He doesn't need algebra right now. He needs some support. He needs to see that he's a brilliant communicator. He's actually a natural salesman. He's phenomenal at communicating. He's actually a really good writer. He's a really, like, let's hone this yeah. and put him in a great environment. Let's get, nope, he needs algebra. His algebra scores are too low and that's going to hurt our standardized test scores. Yeah. 
logically. I don't care if you know the history or not. That's not right. And he's a microcosm of the entire thing. So, so part of the, so if, if we, if we think of the system and, and yeah, Rockefeller's quote on this. And then I, I know that, uh, Prussia was, was, you know, yes. I, I heard somebody describe once that our, our public school system was based off of a Prussian model that was designed to make really good conscripts. Um, Bingo. yeah, yeah this, this, this idea, Bingo. this idea of kind of rank and file obedience and, yes. you know, l- learn these necessary things, respond to these necessary commands, um, and, and whatnot, but, but a kind of, um, kind of a push against any sort of creativity or, or even adaptability within the system. So, so if we, if we can, let's just say like if the audience can accept on some level that, okay, um, let, let's pretend for a second, this wasn't all nefarious. Let, let, let's give it the, let's give it the most sure. generous, generous thing that we possibly could. Maybe Rockefeller and maybe these guys other thought, you know, thought that, look, um, you know, this is the, this is these, you know, 1700s, 1800s. These guys aren't oh. going to be geniuses like us. Right. And so we need to be able to give them something that will allow them to thrive within a factory or mm-hmm. allow them to thrive within a, in a military scenario or whatnot. And, and so that's what we're really doing. And, and even if you looked at that and you thought, okay, well maybe, you know, I don't agree with that, but they weren't being nefarious. Sure. But the bottom line is, is that, okay, that doesn't, so how do, how do we go from that to like, say like John Dewey? Um, cause, cause Dewey's been so influential with respect to you know, the concept of, of public schooling and whatnot. And, and, um, do, do you think, do you think people like John Dewey were motivated by the same things as, you know, um, you know, Rockefeller, or do you think there was a different motivation there? Great. Uh, that's a great question. And so again, I will always and forever lean on John's work as, as well as the work of, of a few other historians in that realm to, to talk about the relationships there. Um, Dewey, from my understanding, was part of the research of bringing people to, so here's actually the quote that I was talking about. This will speak a little bit to it. Yeah. Schools were designed by Horace Mann, Bernard Sears, and Harper of the University of Chicago, and Thorndike of Columbia Teachers College, and some other men such as John Dewey to be instruments of the scientific management of a mass population. Schools are intended to produce through the application of formulaic human, uh, formulae, formulaic human beings whose behavior can be predicted and controlled. So again, that that points to yeah. a little more of a nefarious thing. But again, I'll give you, what if it's not nefarious? What if these guys really did have the right heart? That's awesome. So what? Yeah. So that's so- ultimately where we need to get to is so what? Like there at some point you have to figure out what is best for human beings. How do human beings learn? What do my eyes and ears show me and tell me? And is that uh, coinciding with, with what we're doing here? And there's some very easy, obvious examples of how it's not, that they can shake your cage. It shows you this is not the case. So, so if we, if we look at the, this, okay, the system is designed to handle mass education. Right. And, um, and, and it's generally organized in such a way to where your child is assigned to a school based off of their proximity to the building, right? They're, they're organized right. into a class by their age. And, 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 and yes, yeah. they, the public school system tries to accommodate for things like, um, you know, STEM, or they try to accommodate for things like special needs, or they try to accommodate for thing, you know, other considerations. So I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do a steel man argument, not a straw man argument. Totally. Um, but the system is still the system and, and the purpose still seems to be to, to generate a, a certain outcome, which is not 
designed toward a great deal of free thinking, creativity, or entrepreneurship or anything like that. Um, right. and, and it's largely determined by the government, right? It's, it's these curriculum and everything. You, you can have all the experts that you want, but it's ultimately politicians which approve and de- de- determine what's like. T- tell us a little bit too about the problem with, so that's the problem with kind of the systematic approach. That's the problem with, um, you know, the purpose of it. What do you think is the problem? And, and you, you, you touched on this briefly with the whole algebra thing, right? What do you think yeah. is part of the problem with the content? Of, of the education. Cause most people are going to be like, well, isn't this great? Literacy rates are higher than they ever were before. Right. And, and that's because we, we have this public school and we have these systems of learning. And so, you know, how dare you make this claim? Like what's wrong with the Wait, content? Man. And I totally get that. I would argue that literacy rates were actually higher per capita prior to the implementation of mandatory public school. The literacy rates were at an all time high before school became compulsory. Mm. And they have actually gone down since then. And again, let's just go super, I'm going to, I'm going to talk specifically on the content here in just a second, but I want people to just start, I just want to throw in some logical uh, kind of truth bombs every once in a while. 92% of the population that's 18 or older right now has a high school diploma or greater. Would you look at our country and go 92% of you are wildly capable, educated, <laughs> literate human beings? Yeah. No, you would not. Just that <laughs> question right there. No, you would not. Yeah. Speaking of which, you know what makes everything better? Free bacon. That's right. Good Ranchers right now is offering free bacon with their subscription. Here's what that means. That means when you go to goodranchers.com and you put in promo code Nick and you sign up for one of the subscriptions so you can get the excellent meat products that they provide you. Not only will they give you the meat products you ordered, they're going to give you another meat product for free that you will use to wrap all of the other meat products, right? But if you just go willy-nilly over to the site and you decide, oh, I'm going to look for this offer, you're not going to find it because you got to do promo code Nick. It's for my listeners. That's you. That's you. It's exclusive for you. Goodranchers.com, promo code Nick. Sign up for one of the subscriptions. And with each order that comes in on that subscription, you're going to get a pound and a half of free bacon. People, it just, it just doesn't get better, right? Plus free shipping. So goodranchers.com, promo code Nick. Go get your free bacon. Go do it right now. But again, you don't use the promo code, no bacon for you. All right, let's get back to it. Right, and public school teachers will tell you, we don't have a ton of really great, great readers, and even that begs a definition, right? What does it mean to be a great reader? What does that mean? It doesn't mean you can sound out words. It means you like it. It means you're interested in picking it apart and going, how does this make me a better human being? Not how do I regurgitate some facts about it on a standardized yeah. test? How do I get this information, get excited about it, and use it to transform something about my life? I would argue that we're far away from 92% on that. So that goes into the content itself, which is the original question. So part of what people need to understand is that school is not built around developmental levels. So um, if I was to ask, if I was to ask you, because you, you probably have a general understanding of this fact that most people do, when is the brain roughly blanket uh, fully developed? Between 22 and 25. Sure. Somewhere around there, right? 25-ish is usually kind of the, that's kind of the standard. And that's that's not wrong, right? So the frontal lobe fully developed, 25, cool, man. And now you have a fully formed, uh, theoretically, you've got, theoretically, you've got an adult. Um, never mind the fact that I know 12-year-old adults and 40-year-old <laughs> children, that doesn't matter. So theoretically at that time, what we don't talk about is that there's a nut, like there are stages of this development that take place prior to that. So there's a big brain jump that happens really at eight years old. 
There's a big brain jump that happens at 12. There's a big brain jump that happens around 16. So what, what, what does that mean when you say that, a big brain jump? So like you are predisposed from a natural factory settings point of view to start to have different abilities or interests at these various ages, right? So um, at around eight years old, you start to have this natural inclination to want to be challenged around some other things in the world around you. So we start academia at like five, if not before that, right? Because we're like, we got to cram, we got to make sure they're ready for, for college by, you know, God's sakes, like if your child is in the womb, you better get them ready for the pre preschool <laughs> to get them ready for the preschool. Yeah. Cause you got to go to this preschool to get into this kindergarten. Cause this kindergarten is going to get you yeah. like, this is the way we think, right? Because we're like earlier, the better cram a bunch of down their throat and like force them to do this because if they have this, we're setting a solid foundation. Well, the problem is they're not geared. And again, eight is up. I'm giving, using a blanket statement. Humans aren't standardized. So this is a rough generality, but eight is really about the time where academia, if they haven't been taught to hate it, starts to look a little interesting. Oof, I want to start to play these math games where I can start to memorize these numbers. Ooh, Okay, I want to learn to read these stories. This is kind of fun. Like, this is cool. If it hasn't been made to be the enemy, the problem is we shove it down their throat at five, six, seven, when a lot of them are not developmentally ready and they start to equate reading basic math with things they hate. Huh. They're being forced to go against their development that says, hey, their development right now is saying, play, yeah. explore, look at the world with wonder and curiosity. And if you got some really good adults next to you that can be like curious with you, this is awesome. What do interpersonal relationships look like? How do I navigate those? And I'm going to navigate a lot of those through free play and through like, that's how they're designed. At eight-ish, they start to go, ooh, these academic games can be kind of fun. At 12, when that next brain jump happens, they start to go, hmm, they start to get a little more philosophical and they can start to see a little bit more of the abstract. You can stop looking at things that are so concrete and you can start to go, oh, let's have a Socratic conversation around the character in this story. Let's put you in there as the protagonist. Like now you're Pip, right? What would you have done in this scenario? And what would be the ripple effects of that? They can start to think a little more theoretical like that. And then if left to their own design by 16 or, or coached the right way by 16, they start to go, okay, cool. Now I'm jumping into this, like where I really want to be the master at something. Yeah. I want to actually have ownership and be a freaking ninja <laughs> at something. And I know what I want and I'm going to do a deep dive down here and you're not going to be able to stop me. Like, here we go. So if put in the proper scenario, those are the developmental levels that take place. It's not coincidental that Finland, who we've looked to for a long time as a country that kicks the shit out of us on all things, including like standardized tests, mm -hmm. right? Without focusing on them, by the way, without having grades, by the way. It's no, no accident that they beat the hell out of us. And oh, by the way, kids don't start school until they're about eight. Huh. Oh, oh, by the way, kids don't start, uh, they, they start taking a look at more projects than academia as they get a little bit older. Oh, by the way, they're done by about 16 and they start taking on just more internships and apprenticeships to go forward. They're, it's not that Finland's amazing. They're just smart enough to go by developmental levels. Yeah. So, right. So that's a huge crux of the issue 
for what we're doing with our kids. We actually make them actively hate the things that we want them to do. I have had kids on my campus, if we waited to start academic push until they were like nine, 10, 11, I've seen them go from, all right, let's start academia to I'm all done with calculus <laughs> in three years. Yeah. Not 12. Yeah. Three. That's nuts. Wow. Because we're designed to do that. Yeah. So that's all, like, that's a big part of the system right there. So it's not even just the fact that academics themselves are put on a pedestal, and we can argue all day long whether or not academics matter as much as we make it seem like it, but we're not going along with somebody's natural development. You know, and so again, it, it being able to individualize the academia is obviously another issue. We've broken life down into subjects as if they work in, I don't know what subject this is, this conversation we're having right now, yeah. but apparently there's a subject involved <laughs> in it. Right. And there's some sort of academic quote unquote standard that needs to be met. And isn't it ironic that parents really want that for their kids? But if they go in to try to do the, the same work their kids are doing, even though they've already done it as a kid, they no longer can do it. Yeah. Right. They're going, I don't know how to do this. Ah, so I guess I better make sure my kid goes into the system that I went through that left me incapable of doing this. <laughs> like the irony of that is yeah. like, it blows my mind. You know, I, I took a standardized test. Again, I got straight A's. I never got a B. I got nothing less than an A, ever. I took a standardized test for some of my parents about three years ago. And I came back at a, this grade levels are not a real thing, um, but I came back at a sixth grade math level. Really? Uh-huh. Because I don't ever use anything past that. I could teach myself how to do all that again. Yeah. I just don't personally use it. I'm not an end. I'm, I, I don't use it. We we had a we had an interesting experience with that. So we we've we've homeschooled our kids. All of them spent like about a year, year and a half in public school, and we immediately took them back out. Yeah. Um. And then we we did some stuff with the homeschool co-op. Did some stuff with the tutor, and then and some online stuff like all that. But wh one of the things that really was interesting to me, um, and I'm just going to do this quick segue because I want to get right back in. I like the flow that we're doing here, but. My my oldest daughter uh, was at a point where she was just despising math, like absolutely despising it. And yeah. so she's about a, a sophomore in high school, and she is trying to get through algebra two. And I don't I don't have any particular ability, mathematical ability. My my it's not my wife's strong point either. We're trying to do all the things, and she's just miserable. And then finally, I, I we sat down with her, and, and I said, "Sweetheart, what do you want to do?" And she goes, I, I, I either want to do this or I want to do this. Or I want to do this. And I said, you know what all of those things have in common? What? None of them require algebra two. Mm -hmm. And so maybe instead of sitting here and, and forcing you into this, maybe it would be better if we started to let you go in a direction that's actually going to set you up for success in the things that you have interest in. Because you're a sophomore now. We're not talking about teaching you basic math so that you can balance a checkbook, right? Or do something practical. Not that you got to balance checkbooks anymore, but... Um, but, but something like that. And, and, and two things happened. She, she ended up, she ended up going to, um, she graduated during COVID, ended up going to a cosmetology school when she got into that. Cause she wanted a, she wanted a marketable, marketable skill set that would allow her to, um, have freedom to do the other things that she might've wanted to do either academically, professionally, the theater. So she's like, I know if I can know how to do this, no matter where I go, I can make a living. I, I can yep. support myself. And, and she thrived at it. She paid for her whole thing. She did all the extra classes. She did all the advanced stuff. And, and it was made, like she got emotional when she graduated. She goes, there were times where I thought I was a bad student 
And then when I got into this, I excelled because I not only enjoyed it, I saw the purpose in everything I was doing. And that was a huge moment for us where we look back at some of the stuff we did in homeschooling even. We're like, man, we missed the boat because we were trying to replicate the model we left. Bingo, right? We try to replicate school at home. That's why I call it a cult. Because yeah. you're trying to get a person out of a cult using logic. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck, right? <laughs> yeah. Good luck, man, because they're still going to want to do cult stuff. Yeah. Right? So that's what happens. We try to replicate this at home, and instead we focus so hard on what are the things I need to cram that we forget to look at the individual person we're raising. Yeah. That's the game. Who are they? What does he or she need? When does he or she actually need it? Yeah. Like, that's what an educated person does. You go, who am I? How do I get the information I need when I need it? Yeah. And yourself real good. And when you have things connected, like what you just said, you have a goal, you have purpose. You can't stop a human being that has that if they know where to go and get it, as long as the mindset's right. Like you can't stop them. And that, and that's that was an incredibly that was an intellectually liberating moment for me. Yeah. Especially when I look at um, you know, for our other children as as well, because I still have I have one child that a senior. I have another that's uh, about to turn 16. Um, so that was, a, that was a liberating moment. But the other thing too, that I, what I think is so important about all the things that you've just spoken about so far, when we've talked about this whole, this kind of topic of content, mm-hmm. um, what, what are you learning? What subjects, what age, why, what's the purpose? Is it appropriate for the age level? Is it appropriate for the developmental level? And right. Here, here's what, again, here's what I think is interesting and people need to understand about this. None of what we've, we've talked about is necessarily in and of itself nefarious, right? It's not like people got together and said, ooh, I know when they're six, we're going to force them to learn all this stuff that's going to make them hate reading. Like that wasn't the case. You had people that said, here's a process that we're going to try to use to increase literacy and there's been problems with it. Now, add on top of that, that we're now looking at an era of public schooling where there is content coming into the classroom now mm-hmm. that I would argue, you know, it, I, I could, I could look at that other content and I could say, okay, maybe on some level with respect to intention, morally neutral. Sure. I'm looking at the new content coming in. This crap ain't morally neutral. This, mm-hmm. this has an, an agenda and an ideology behind it. And if I don't like it, their attitude toward me is, well, you're just mean or you're just a bigot or you don't have a master's degree in education. Who are you to say what your kid's education should look like? So, so, and the reason why I point this out is because a lot of parents right now are getting frustrated because they're seeing this sort of content in their schools. They're, Mm. they're, They're seeing openly pornographic material on their children's school, public school library and thinking, oh my gosh, that's gotta go. Great, I agree with you. But the problem that we just discussed, the yeah. fundamental problem, is not this this you know, negative content. It's it's the content that isn't necessarily nefarious in and of itself. It's mm-hmm. exactly right. And the problem is people don't think they can leave. So that's that's with this this whole system has been woven into the foundation because we are not looking at the system itself as nefarious, and again, I'm not going to make the argument we have to look at it as nefarious, but because we have not, because we have assumed this is what development looks like, because we have latched on to this is for the greater good, and somehow this is the foundational thing for success in any way you define it. Doesn't matter if I go, hey, do you know anybody that was really good at school and their life sucks? Yes. They're miserable? Yes. 
<laughs> well, do you know anybody that slept at school and they hated it, but their life turned out great? Yes. Okay, cool. It's because those are different games. You can suck at baseball and be really good at basketball because they're not the same game. Yeah. Well, school and life are not the same game. So, I mean, as much as I want to raise my kids and make them good at life, if you want to go school first for 18 years, that's fine. The problem is, think about doing something for 18 years. You get good yeah. at it. Yeah. So you've oh, that's a good point. For 18 years at being completely obedient to whoever the authority is here for these 18 years, and you said, here, here's the pen, and we have to listen to them because they're the quote-unquote experts. They've been doing, like, right? So you, what does it mean? Uh, yeah, when you're young, of course, you should raise your hand to ask another human being if you can go to the bathroom, and if they say no, you have to. Of course, that's, of course, that's right. <laughs> of course, you should all stand in line, and, 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 but then, you know, you do that at 18, and then the next day, you better know what you want to do for the rest of your life. Of course, this makes sense, right? Um, <laughs> You got to stand in line and be quiet and, you know, like, dude, you get really good at it for 18 years and then you come into a completely different game that says, cool, now you're in the real world and we reward things like competence and integrity. And you're like, well, shit, I didn't practice that. I didn't practice that at all. Right? Yeah. But we're so dialed into the need to have this from a, a moral fabric standpoint that even as people start to clearly see other agendas being placed in, because of course, why, where else would you put them? As yeah. a, if you were to be the nefarious, what like where else would you go? You'd go to the kids because you're getting them early and you can start to develop their mindset and you go to where they all think they have to be for 18 years. You give me kids for that long, I will create whatever I want out of them. So now that we've got the society going, we have to do this. Now we start going, cool. And here's the talking point. And yeah. cool. You can have 48 different genders and cool. Dads don't matter. And cool. You know, you want to be a boy today and a girl tomorrow and a T-Rex on Wednesday? Awesome. Sounds great. Right? And and people aren't going to leave. Yeah. No, They're not going to leave. Well, and that, and that kind of, there's, there's two other categories I want to get to on this. Um, because, you, and you and again, you you hinted at this. So you've got the problems of the system. You got uh, problems with the purpose. You got problems with the content, and then you got problems with how the content is graded, or the standards, or what constitutes success. Right. So right. tell walk us a little through the, you know that walk us walk us a little bit through the problems with you know, if everything else we haven't discussed about wasn't frustrating or or bad enough or perverse enough in some sense with respect to the outcome we want, even the mechanisms which they use to to grade it or to, is still problematic. So walk us through that. It is extraordinarily problematic. Well, we've put, we're putting academia on a pedestal, right? So we're talking about, so we talked about math earlier. You were talking about math. So here's a question that I want everybody to answer. What math is needed and when do you need it? Can you answer a blanket statement for that across the board? You really can't. As blanket as we can get is you need some basic addition, subtraction. Um, you need to be able to, when do you use math? Well, everybody's going to use it for finances. Um, okay, cool. So do we need to grade that? Like, do we need to grade that? Or do we need to just show people how to use quick math and be able to implement finances and get them excited about learning that early on? The whole thing of like, I'm going to, grade you is literally just based on obedience. I'm going to teach to the lowest common denominator right here. I'm going to force you to do this 
particular part of academia, and if you obey well and regurgitate well, you get this little letter that says you obeyed well and regurgitated well. So let me, let me, let me ask you about it. Let me, so I'm going to play devil's advocate. I'm going to push back and be like, all right, Matt, that's a caricature, right? That's a caricature of what's actually going on. What's actually going on is that they're doing exactly what you're saying, right? They're, they're saying, okay, you got to learn basic math because it's going to be important for finances. Or maybe, you know, if you're going to be an engineer, you got to learn more advanced math. And so of course, we're going to come up with systems to test whether or not you've mastered these topics. Of course, we're going to come up with tests in order to Mm -hmm. determine whether or not you've retained the relevant subject matter. And then uh, all we're doing with the grade is we're saying you have this many questions, you got this many right, this many right equals this grade. So it's it's basically the same thing. This is just a way to test, you know, comprehension. Like what, what would you say to that? So if that's how, if that's how learning takes place, why do you not keep doing it as a 43 year old man? That's Why great. do you not, right? Like yeah. that, like, again, I just want to try to bring it back to the most simple, logical thing that people can start to go, hmm, why do we not continue to do that? Why is there not a 43-year-old reading level? Why is there not a 43-year-old math level? Um, if, if Nick makes more money than Matt, does that mean Matt's behind or does that mean Nick's ahead, hmm. right? We start taking a look at these, these things from a logical standpoint of adulthood and we start to realize, hmm, that's not actually how it works. How does life test us? Life tests our understanding by, do you have a profitable business? Are you in debt as a family? Are you able to pay your bills and save and then you understand what to do with your money? Like, that's how life actually tests us. So what if, batshit crazy idea, <laughs> what if we had kids start to play that game right from the beginning? Yeah. And then they tied any kind of academia to it because now they have the reason and they have the purpose, right? So I'll tell you a story. My daughter, my oldest daughter, has never loved straight academic math, right? Now that she's a 12-year-old, she's actually at work right now. She works about 40 hours a week. Um, she has multiple businesses. She bought her first horse when she was nine. My other daughter was seven, and they bought their first horses together. Just real money. quick, we're, we're going to edit this because I don't need my youngest daughter knowing that this is a thing, all right? <laughs> it's real. Yeah, totally. So they bought their first horses at nine and seven. When we lived in California, we had our first two horses. They they purchased them, nine and seven, based on their businesses. So my daughter hated the academic math side of things. Like, oh my gosh, kill me now. I don't want to do it. Um, but we started talking money. We started talking getting horses. And she's like, I'm all about it. I am all about it. So we're like, all right, cool. Well, let's build out uh, a mock business so you can learn what a P&L looks like. Ooh, that sounds fun. What are we going to build? Well, I don't know. What kind of business do you want? I want to start a restaurant. Sweet. What do you want a restaurant to look like? If you had to start a restaurant, what would that look like? Well, I would, I would create this. I would create this. Cool. Money is no object, but where are you going to source this? How much is that going to cost to get this, this much food? What kind of uh, building are you going to have to be in? What's a, like she started looking on LoopNet to look for commercial properties. Ooh, yeah. okay, it would cost this much, right, to, to buy the building. Okay, it would cost this much to start uh, employing people. It would cost this. So she started trying to walk through and learning a mock P&L. She's very much dealing with numbers as she's doing that because at that point it's fun. Now it's a game. So now she gets this P&L of this whole mock restaurant that she's going to run. And she's like, okay, this is awesome. Well, I need to build a real business because I really need to make some money. I don't have that kind of money. What can I do right now that doesn't cost me a lot of money that I could sell? 
to other people. So she starts figuring out what she and my daughter, other daughter, start figuring out what can they do. And this is something we do on our campuses anyways. Everybody starts a business or brings their business into perpetuity. All students, all of them, because they start having these kind of conversations. Yeah. So they start figuring all of this out so that they can make enough money to buy the horses they want to make, right? Now, all of a sudden, the math, as she goes back into academic math, it's like, okay, well, I want to get a little better at that because that was harder for me to figure out when I was doing this, right? We go the opposite way. We go, hey, we're going to give you academics, academics, academics. In theory, you're going to think that's awesome at some point because it's going to help you. <laughs> yeah. The other, right? Yeah. So the 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 point that I'm, I like what Elon uh, Elon said something of like, we, you know, school tries to teach kid about all the various, you know, have them sit at a desk and talk about the various style of wrenches. No kid cares. But if we went to those kids and said, Hey, let's go fix this engine in the process of the engine, they went, okay, how do I change this? And we're like, Hey, let me tell you what a socket wrench is. Right. Yeah. Then it matters. Cause they have something that matters to them. And, and that's how learning actually works. You and I do the same thing as adults. We have something we actually want to do. Thus, we work backwards and find the tools that are going to help us to get there, right? So school as it's designed, academia first, and let's grade it, does nothing to tie it to the real world for the young heroes. Flip it on its back end, and you'll find them crush the academic side. You know, I use my son as an example, too. I use this in a TED Talk that I gave, but I said, you know, my son wanted to do jujitsu. The academic route would be cool. Let's start reading a book about jujitsu. I'm going to give you a multiple choice test on the book. I'm going to make you do a trifold board presentation. I'm going to make you watch this movie and and like regurgitate to me all the great jujitsu players of all time. I'm going to make you memorize the top 50 moves that are used, maybe a percentage, right? Or or I can be like, here, let's go to jujitsu class. <laughs> oh, your ass kicked for a while. Yeah, start figuring some things out in the process. And then be like, man, I better figure out what these moves are. So like, what is the, well, here's how this move got implemented, right? Yeah. That's how humans actually learn. Again, yeah. set it up in the opposite fashion. I, I was, I, I had, I had a bill a couple of years back where I was trying to expand apprenticeship programs. And uh, I think it was, I can't remember which group came in, but one of their biggest problems with it is like, well, this is, this is going to cut time out of, out of, this is going to cut from classroom time. And I looked at them like, Bonus, like, yes, it, it, it is. Right. That's um, exactly right. Yeah, that's the yeah. You know, like, and again, parents. If you are you're a parent, you knew exactly how to parent until you had your kids, and then you went, oh, okay, this is actually a little bit harder, right? But if somebody said, hey, we're going to give you the parenting class, and first you do this, first you do this. In theory, that sounds cool, but now you have kids, and you know, man, okay. I have my child now. Now I'm in the thick of it. I had to actually figure some things out. Now I can go back and grab some tools and plug and play because I know who this child is, right? Yeah. That's how learning works. It's how we're designed. If you're mad at, about that, like I didn't do the design. Somebody else did the design of this. I'm just reporting how we designed it. Like that's all it is. So let's so let's do a quick recap of that. So we again we've we've got a we've got a system which is you know you refer to as like the the conveyor belt kind of like the, I refer to as the mass production approach to education. Right. You've you've got the purpose of it from its early inception to design you know good obedient soldiers factory workers you know things like that. You've got content which is 
inappropriately of inappropriately applied at sometimes the wrong age group or sometimes for um, it's not connected to any sort of practical purpose that the child can associate with it. And now you've got content, which is openly nefarious, at least from, from many people's perspective, certainly from my perspective. And then you've got a a grading system, which is also not, not based in in any sort of reality. Once you leave school, because it's, it's not based off of determining, can you do the thing or can you apply the thing in a practical way? It's just, have you memorized sufficient stuff to pass the standardized test? Because, oh, by the way, that's how the school is going to be graded. Hey, yeah, yeah. And then, and then I would say, like the, the and the third part that I think kind of flows through all of this is that, and and you know, obviously, when when you look at, I I, I tried to explain this to parents that were like, well, we're going to show up to our school board and we're going to protest this. I said, look, I, I think that's all great. I said, I want to point something out to you though. Um, Idaho, which is arguably one of the most conservative states that has passed all of the legislation that you could ever possibly want to prevent some of this curriculum, to prevent some of this other stuff. They went in there undercover and guess what they found out? They were still doing it. Why? Because not all teachers, but enough teachers had gone through the university system. They had learned critical pedagogy. They had learned, you know, a, a particular approach, you know, the education for the oppressed, Right. And, and they believe that they're on a mission to do something good. Like you need to understand, it's not like they left university, went into the school system and thought, ooh, I'm going to I'm gonna trick all these kids into believing something bad. Right. They believe they're on an honest and noble mission to make sure that your kids don't turn out like you. That's right. And they're going to persevere in that mission because they believe it's moral. And so so that that kind of presents the the, you know, across the board. The, the thing that I go back to parents on a lot of times, I'm like, I, I don't know what to tell you other than the whole system that your, your, your kids are going to, the problems are so fundamental along every line, every measurement that we would look at that getting a new governor or a new school board or a new principal or a new teacher that doesn't address those fundamental issues. Right. So the question is, what does so? What what is what is the alternative? That, and, and you know, you've been talking about some of this and, and just showing the contrast. But give us an idea. Give us an idea of the model with Acton Acton Placer. Like what is, what is the model that you utilize based off of your experience in private school, public school, and now this model, which you don't associate with any of the whether it's public or private, you don't associate with this traditional model of schooling. Right. That's exactly right. No, I love, that's a great way to frame it. Um, I, again, I'm with you, man. I applaud the people who are wanting to use their voice. And, and my, my plea to them is to listen to what Nick is just saying right there. Like you're not, it's just as likely as you're going to go stand outside the Vatican with a sign that says, you know, change Catholicism. And they're going to be like, no, man, that dude's got a rad sign. Like let's switch up these years of tradition and power and poly. Like, Let's do it because that guy said, you know, he put it up on social. Like that's just that's just as likely that that's going to happen as you're going to go in there and change it. So what if you took that same amount of time and energy and went, who are these young heroes I'm raising and how can I create some alternatives? Right. So. Um, so, yeah, I'm right there with you. So as far as the alternatives, so I want to make some. So I started launching campuses under the Acton Academy umbrella partially because I started to design in my own head going, okay, I want, if I was going to design school for, for my kids, which I'm going to do because they're not going here. Um, what is that going to look like? I started 
talking to a group of professors. Um, I was actually in South Carolina talking to them, and one of them was like, hey, I want you to come do this TED. It was my first TEDx because she's like, I'm going to go to UC Santa Cruz. I want you to come talk to these uh, people about some of the things you're hearing. By the way, you sound a lot like this guy, Jeff Sandifer, who's got these campuses out. You know, he's got one in Austin, Texas called the Acton Academy. Mm -hmm. um, I think you're going to like that. So I went out there, spent some time there. I was like, yeah, that's this is essentially what I was designing um, in my head for, you know, more or less. So I started partnering with them. I launched a number of Acton Academies, started helping people launch Acton Academies. I gifted those Acton Academies. I no longer associated there. Tim and I are building Apogee schools that are very similar to Acton, but also incorporate a couple of other things. So when I'm talking about the model here, um, I'm talking about really both of these, Actons as well as Apogee schools. Okay. Um, so first and foremost, we utilize those developmental ranges, like we said, like students are broken up into that kind of, uh, you know, you got your preschool-ish ages, that kind of zero to four, you got kind of your five to eight-ish, you got kind of your eight to 12-ish, 12 to 16-ish, and then 16 and above. So we take a look from a developmental range up through that eight years old, free play in a very Montessori-esque approach matters. We want them to start learning to make decisions. The way humans learn to make decisions is, surprise, making decisions. So, <laughs> the whole, so but the whole thing at zero to eight, you don't really know what decisions are good decisions to make. So what we do is we make sure they're in an environment where it's like, hey, you've got decisions to make, but are your decisions? Is your decision A, B, C, D, or E? We don't talk about F, G, H, I, and J because those are bad decisions, right? So what does that look like? And we call them jobs and they're going to take on um, actual jobs and chores on campus. Like they're actually going to have responsibilities on campus. They're going to be cleaning on campus. They're going to be taking on real jobs on campus at an early age. There's a whole lot of free play. There's a whole lot of manipulation of the world around them. There is a whole lot of a microcosm of the things they're going to do at home, running a household, learning to cook. Like there's all of these things that they're super excited about that feel like play to them. Mm. As they get into eight to 12, then we'll introduce a little more of the academia and we'll introduce Socratic thinking and Socratic conversations. So Socratic conversations for people that don't know, there's a couple ways to look at it. One, it's like the proverbial, well, why? And then why? And then why, right? Going down that rabbit hole, but there's also ways to frame good Socratics where you go, okay, I'm going to put you in a moral dilemma and you have to choose answer A or B. And what is interesting is A or B are usually both really good answers or they both really suck. And you force them to choose one or the other and have to defend it. Yeah. Right. And then articulate why. Like it's a real, we talk about critical thinking. Well, critical thinking means you're thinking about your thinking. So this forces them to go, okay. I'm going to choose this one, even though my answer is in the middle, I'm going to choose this one and I'm going to defend it. And I suppose I'm defending it because this, this, right. It actually starts to build critical thinkers. Yeah. And we have them engage in civil discourse. We have contracts in place. Those contracts give rules of engagement. What does a good conversation look like and not look like? And what is the backbone, our moral integrity, honor, uh, compassion, politeness, like those things have to come to the table. We're all agreeing that we're a part of that. Otherwise we leave. That means if kids are jerks, they don't get to stay, mm. right? You're allowed to disagree. Yeah. No problem. But civil discourse matters. Yeah. Everybody's got a voice. You're not being told. Everybody has a voice. We're going to listen to your voice. Here's how to articulate it and articulate it well. Here's how to genuinely listen to the other side of the argument. And at the end of the day, they may not change their mind. You may not change yours. 
high five, let's go to recess. Like, yeah. let's go play. We're still friends. Yeah. Right. So we start incorporating that along with some of the academic choice that they can start to take on. We're going to start to present them with themes where they actually have to do something and create something. So for example, we'll go, um, for the next six weeks at the end, you're going to have that six weeks to work together. At the end of the six weeks, you guys are going to uh, work together to put on a play. Um, and you get to write. So you're gonna have to figure out working together. Who's going to write the screenplay. Who's going to be the director. You're also going to be responsible for building the props. You're going to be responsible for selling the tickets. You're going to be responsible for creating the costumes. Here are all the materials. We're going to work alongside you. Ready, go. So now they got to start to collaborate. They've got a time frame that's in there. It's a real life test. Yeah. It's a test that mimics something they'll face in the real world. And in the process of that, they're going to have to figure out, okay, I'm going to build this set. Cool. How are you going to build that? You've got the tools, but how are you going to build? Ah, gosh, I guess I better find out who knows how to build this. Who can I connect with? Is there a YouTube video? Like, where would I go? Cool. Let's all work together, right? So they're going to work together to create something. And then the next theme for the next six, six weeks might be um, you are going to uh, build an entire city. Some of it has to be out of Legos. I'm picking from real things we've done. Some has to be out of Legos. Some has to be 3D printed. Some has to be out of wood, uh, hammer and nails. And some has to be out of cardboard. You got to connect it together. You're going to build a city and any infrastructure in there. You've got to run electricity to the entire thing. We're going to bring <laughs> all the families together in six weeks and you're going to flip the switch and let's see if the lights come on or not. And even if they don't, okay, why didn't it work? Yeah. Great. Let's dive back in, right? But so, like, that's real stuff. That, that, no, it's super cool. Here, here's the question I want to ask. So firing back, right? Like, okay, sure. great. It sounds like a lot of group projects. And I did group projects in school and I know how group projects work. One or two people do all the work and then everyone else totally. kind of sits around. So how do, you, how do you address that in this model? That's a great question, man, because that does happen, right? So we all get to have a voice on, hey, every time we did this, man, Nick left. Nick, le Nick wasn't a part of this, right? So with our coaches, our adult guides are on there going, hey, man, um, just so you know, like, if you're not a part of this, what do you got going on right now? Like, what's, what's happening? I'm just going to work on my academics. Okay, cool, man. Sounds good. But when it comes to the exhibition and the parents are there, those guys don't get to be a part of the exhibition and they've got to let their parents know I chose not to actually get in this. And now the parents actually have to be involved. We talk about parent involvement. Yeah. That's what parent involvement looks like. This is an actual partnership. So, hey, we're not going to, like, we're offering this. They've got the choice. They're making a choice to choose and do something else. If you want to do, you guys have that conversation. We're going to partner with you on that. We've had a lot of young people who got really embarrassed because when it came to the exhibition and all the parents in the community are there <laughs> for these public exhibitions and yeah. the kids are like, your name's not on this. And they're like, what? And their parents are like, what do you mean? And we're like, we got to have these conversations. But that's a learning experience. Why not yeah. learn that at 12 Yeah. versus learn that when you're 38 and you got a mortgage and you screwed over your wife and your kids? Yeah, yeah. Well, and, learn and, I, that. and I love the fact too that you, this is one of, one of the biggest issues I have with the government schooling model is it's this idea that the, the parents are disengaged. And, and even when they say that a, a parent is engaged, what does that mean? Well, it means they help them with the homework that has already been determined or, you know, whatever right. it is. But there, there is no sense of responsibility um, for, right. for the actual content or for the actual performance. 
And it sounds like you guys are saying, no, look, we're here to coach and come alongside, but you still bear the ultimate responsibility. You still bear, you are still always and forever the primary educator in that young person's life, period, end of story. They are going to do what you do before they do what you say. So you better be the person that you want them to be Yeah, because they're going to follow suit. Right. So that's, so that's part of how parent involvement looks. And as they continue to get older, all of them are, are starting a business or taking a business into perpetuity every single year because they're getting to understand um, all of the fundamental skills that come from trying to be an entrepreneur. We're not saying they all have to be entrepreneurs when they get older. We're just saying there's so many life skills that are learned through the development of a business, right? So they're all having to do that every single year. Um, they all have increasing responsibility as they get older on campus. Not only are they doing the cleaning and all that kind of stuff, but my chef is 17, went down to Weston A. Price, learned how to cook, uh, come back and he's the chef every day. So parents put the orders in. It's like, all right, we've got 42 orders for lunch. Got to get them out by lunch. And uh, I got my sous chefs that I hired, do a real hiring process, a real job interview. And he's got a bunch of 12 and 13 year olds that work for him. And yeah. they come in and they help do the sous chef stuff and they cook real food every single day. And they've got to get it out to everybody, right? Wow. That's a rad learning experience. Parents come in for a tour. Cool. Here's our 16 year old tour guide. Who's going to go, here's the history of us. And here's what we're doing. And here, right. They're bringing them on through. They start learning the responsibility of running the campus. Yeah. We've got bills to pay. Cool. How does that happen for a commercial property that we own? Like, what does that look like? Well, you're about to find out. This is your job. Now, <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. You're going to pay the bills for this commercial property. You're the you're the account manager on that. Like, this is yours. And then they're working on internships and apprenticeships out in the field in things they think they're interested in, so they can see: Am I interested in this? Am I not? Either way, I'm also creating a lot of really good relationships and getting some great letters of recommendation and some fantastic work experience. That's what the last couple of years look like. So we've got all those built in. Apogee on our side, because Tim and I are are big believers in physical fitness being the precursor to mental fitness for young people. So physical, true physical fitness on each one of these campuses, whether it's CrossFit style workouts, whether it's jiu-jitsu, whether it's kickboxing, whatever that looks like, we're gonna make sure the kids are in shape and have real physical education. Yeah. And parents are also going through an educational program at the same time. Really? That's yes. That's part of tuition is the parents are going through an educational program. Dads are going through one, moms are going through one, and they're going through it with all of the other parents from all of the other campuses all over the world. So that so let me ask so let me ask you a question about it because all of this sounds just incredible. As, as I'm listening to this, it's it's just I mean, it, it sounds interesting. It makes sense. Like it, on, on a logical level, you're thinking through this going, man, this this just seems to make sense. So here's here's going to be the the hard question coming back. Mm-hmm. When when I hear things like all of these different programs and a sous chef and, and the parents have different responsibilities, now my mind is going to, okay, I remembered when Tina and I started homeschooling, right? Like, mm-hmm. We, we had, we had made a decision earlier, or early on, like before we got married, we said like, like my eventual goal was I wanted to be able to make enough to where she, like, we did not need a second income. And that doesn't mean right. we we're going to be rich. It doesn't mean we we're going to have fancy stuff. It was just, yeah. Hey, we can live and, and she, she can, you know, have the freedom to manage the home, manage the kids' education, things like that. So when I right. hear all this, I'm like, man, I, I don't know. 
I mean, maybe now at this point in my life, you know, 44, but my oldest kid's 21. My youngest is about to turn 16. Maybe now yeah. at this point I can say, okay, maybe I, maybe I could afford something like this. But I know there's a lot of parents listening who go, this sounds awesome. And I yes. can't, I can't afford to do something like this. Afford it. Totally get that. And that's a fair, the downside of any kind of privatized education is the fact that you got to pay for it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Which is, which is, by the way, which is correct, right? Which is the right answer, right? You, you wouldn't, you wouldn't dream of going in and getting a coffee or ordering a pizza or buying a car and being like, why should food is desperate? Like, I need food to live. I need a car to get to yeah. work. You'd never assume oh. that somebody had to provide it for free. You just had to provide it for free. A hundred percent. Yep. A hundred percent. So that said, I'm with Perry. I get it, man. So um, there's multiple, there are multiple things uh, going on here that, that people can take a look at. And then there are some valid arguments that we are trying to combat. So yeah. um, multiple things to take a look at. Man, I'm with you. We did not want, we did not want Heather to have to work anymore um, when we had, we made a conscious decision. And when people, uh, I love the, uh, oh, must be nice, man. You've got a school that your kids can go to. Must be nice. You guys live on a farm. Must be nice. And I always go, dude, it's so nice. It is. It's really nice. You know what was a nice? I lived in a 1982 Toyota Corolla that was yellow with sheepskin seats. That was my house yeah. for a little while when I was in my 20s um, because I didn't want to spend like that, – that was, that was my house for a little bit. And then guess what? When we had our first child, we lived in California. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. It's not inexpensive. Um, <laughs> we lived in California – we had, I had a daughter. Um, we made the decision for my wife to stay home. And my job that year, I made $31,000. Oh, in California, that's, oh In California, gosh. right? It's like, so, but we were hell bent on making sure because that's what we wanted. So we sacrificed everything. We paid student loans. We paid for a little bit of food, whatever we could afford on the house and gas. And was like, man, I hope nothing else hits us because that's about all we can roll. Yeah. So I get the need. There's, you know, sometimes people... Um, that's really the question is what can we cut out and sacrifice for some people? Some people are already like, man, no, I'm already there. Um, so I can't pay extra money for tuition. Cool. Can you home educate? Home education does not mean bringing school home. It means home education. The best way to educate your young person, again, parents are always and forever the primary educator. The best way is to increase their own education and bring the kids along with them. Right. Even as a home educating family, like I, we don't, we operate in the 1041 tax system, not the 1040 tax system. People don't know that there's two tax systems in this country, yeah. uh, both perfectly legal. Um, we operate in the 1041 system. That's not the normal system. So part of what we do is we've got our cash flow on how that works as a family, where the money goes from the businesses to the the various types of trusts and, and all of this we have here. My kids, as I'm working with this money, my kids join me. It's not magic. Yeah. They just join me and we have conversations around it. Do they understand every single bit about it? Do I don't understand every single bit of it, right? But as I'm learning and growing in it, I have conversations with them about it. And now it's being seen as the baseline of normal for our family. I always ask people like, people are like, oh man, I can't educate my kids. Cool, man. Do your kids speak English? Like, well, yeah. I'm like, do they speak Chinese? No. How come? Well, I don't speak Chinese. Right. And what school did you take them to, to, to learn English? Well, none. They just write. They were around you. You spoke English. It was the baseline for normal. You set the environment up so that you guys all spoke English, right? That's it. Like that was the environment. Walking. Yeah, they did it. You didn't teach them. Yeah. You didn't take them to school. You didn't lecture them. 
You set the environment up. Every time they took a step and it was wobbly and they fell on their ass and they failed at walking, you cheered it on. You went, yes, failure is a good thing because as you keep doing it, then you're gonna get there, right? Guess what? That works with everything else. As you get better at working finances, my kids know where to look at the bill. Like my kids know how much money we have. My kids know how the bills get paid. I could be snowed in somewhere for a week or a month and my kids are gonna be fine because they know how to operate every single thing in this household, including paying the bills, logging into my stuff and paying the bills. Wow. They can do that at 12, 10, and seven, right? That transfers to the real world. Yeah. That transfers to real life. That's home education. I'm not worried about cramming algebra down the 12-year-old, right? So parents have the opportunity, even as a single parent, if you've got coverage, somebody to watch your kids during the day, you can bring that kind of education home and not have to actually pay. Yeah. Right. So do you need to sacrifice? Maybe you need to home educate. Maybe you need to home educate for a while, but those are both options. And then we talk about, okay, but you're like, nope, I want to go to this kind of campus. And look, Apogee campuses, obviously I'm biased. Stellar. Acton camp campuses, I'm biased. Stellar. There's great Montessori campuses. Um, there are great Waldorf campuses. I like both of those for earlier ages. I don't love them for like elementary age and above, but there's some great campuses. There's uh, Prenda, there's Ad Astra. There's like, there's a number of these out there. So cool. You got to pay for these. Um, if it's not sacrificing, it's not adding more, what else can we do? On the Apogee side, we're building out an endowment if we can, and we're building out a, a scholarship on a massive scale. Um, so we understand that it's hard to pay for these things sometimes. So one of the things we have done, and this was not without a ridiculous amount of uh, time and effort, we created Apogee payment systems. Mm. So instead of using Stripe, any business in the world that wants to transfer to Apogee payment systems, which by the way, all we did was buy an existing payment processing company. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that all we did, that was a lot of effort to get yeah. that done. But instead of that one or 2%, like Stripe would make, you know, Visa and MasterCard get their portion, but Stripe would make the margin on the rest of it, make a ton of money and then go push a nice woke agenda, right? They've shut me down a couple of times. So instead of that happening, that one, one and a half, two percent that would normally go back to Stripe, on our side, it goes into our 501c3. Oh, wow. Okay. It goes into our foundation. Any organization can team up with us and do this and help scholarship young people. Yeah. All of our campuses pay tuition through it, which automatically creates a scholarship system. So you've got some students that can afford it, but it automatically kicks back a scholarship opportunity so they can scholarship more people in their area. Any organization can donate. Any organization can sign up under Apogee Pays. We've got that 501c3. And then we're also creating the Apogee Education Foundation, which is a more public-facing charity where we can connect to bigger grant opportunities and things like that that we are using for the exact same thing. Yeah. So with you on the need to be able to pay and we're trying to help on that side too because we believe in this so much. Well, and and I and I want to and I want to make sure people the audience understands where I'm coming from and as well as this. I, I think it's fascinating when people say that education is so incredibly valuable, but I shouldn't have to pay anything for it. And and Man. the thing that I want to say back to people is you are going to pay. You're going to pay one way or another. You're either going to pay in property taxes or you're going to pay in a failed education system or you're going to pay in the fact that you have a horrible relationship with your kids because you didn't get 
necessary time with them or because they were taught things that are directly contrary to your own worldview. Um, yes. I mean, I, I watch, I watch broken hearted parents who went through hell to send their kids to college only yeah. to have their kids come back, hating them for it. hundred percent. And, and you're looking Same. at this going, and you're telling me there wasn't a cost. You're telling me there wasn't a cost to the system that, that we're currently doing. So oh, I, 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 I think yeah, it's, a, I think it's important for people to like, I, again, I, I don't want to be flippant. I understand because I know, because you know what it's like to be at that point in your life where it's like, look, I, I can't afford any more at this point, but I can do this. Mm-hmm. And, and I think what, what's so wonderful about what you guys have set up and the process that, that you guys have talked about is that the ideas and the concepts that, that you've discussed here today, that can be, a, that can be applied in a homeschool setting. That can be applied in a homeschool setting. And and then when you get to a point, because again, what generally happens over time is when, when you've, when you've made good happens, when you have good capabilities and you start to make a little bit more money, then the question you think about is like, okay, I want to double down on investing in my child's education. And here's these other people that are providing something of value and deserve to get paid for the thing that they're providing of value. And and I'm going to partner with these guys in, in order to set my kids up for even, even greater success. And, and that's a, and, and I, I, that's the message I want parents to understand is that no matter where you're at right now, there, there is the, the, the overall, again, there's a cost one way or another. There's a cost to send your kids to government school. And there is a cost associated to still having to pay all those property taxes and, and everything else, but being able to have control over that, that time and that education with your child um, the, the relationship I have with my kids, I chalk up significantly to the additional time that I was able to have with them as a result of this. So it is possible. It is possible. And and again, organizations like yours are, are even going above and beyond. You're, you, you haven't just provided a good product. You're now looking for new ways to be able to make that product accessible to, to an ever-expanding you know, uh, audience. That's it. That's how, that's how much we believe I'm in the, in the mission. And that's why you know, I talk about Apogee Pay is going, man— this has been the bane of my existence for the last, I mean, even when you and I were at, even when you and I were at dinner a couple of weeks ago, yeah. right? Like I was getting phone calls, right? Like this has been the bane of my existence is getting this up and running, but it's so needed, man. It's yeah. so worth it, yeah. right? If parents, if, you know, I get the, well, my property taxes pay for this. I love what you're talking about. You're like, I get that all the time. I'm like, yeah, I get it, man. But if your property taxes paid for food to be free, um, you know, two meals out of the day, we're going to be McDonald's mm-hmm. and, uh, you're going to get that. Like, would you, would you be like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm down. Cause it's free McDonald's. Or yeah. would you be like, ah, that's not the best food better yet. What if it was, what if it was literally free food that had a little tiny bit of poison in it every time they ate Yeah, just a little tiny bit of poison. And over the course of 18 years, that's a lot of poison they're ingesting, but it's all free. Yeah. You'd remove them in a heartbeat and you would figure out how to pay for all of the meals. Yeah. Again, this is a value proposition. The hardest thing is we just can't see. I was talking to Alex uh, Hormozzi's. He used this. Oh, yeah. uh, Hormozzi's great, man. A yeah. good, super smart dude. He came on and talked with our dads, right? I'm yeah. talking about the education for men. You know, like Alex comes in, can talk to them, yeah. right? So like we're talking about everything being a value proposition. And the hardest thing is on this is we can't see the value we're shooting for. We don't have a way to visually or monetarily ascribe something to the relationship with our kids yeah. or their joy. Like we don't have any way to do that. Alex used the example of his Hummer. He's like $200,000 Hummer. And if I said, Hey, you got 24 hours to give me $10,000 for this Hummer. 
Well, we inherently go, wait, I just have to find 10. Yeah. And this is 200. I'll do, he's like, you'll check every bank account. You'll open new credit cards. You'll talk to all your friends and family because you can see it right there. We, we can't see those relationships and that, we can't see it. So we have a harder time ascribing that value yeah. right prop to all of this. It's yeah. a harder thing, um, but it's just as real, if not extraordinarily more so. Well, what, where can people where can people go to find out more uh, about you know, all of these programs that you've discussed? Where, where can where can they go? And 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 you you run some of your own stuff as well, uh, podcasting. Whatnot. Where where can they find out more? Thanks, man. I appreciate it. So everything is going to be under the Apogee Strong umbrella, and that'll push you to. All of this, like Apogee Pays is going to have its own site. The Apogee Schools will have its own site. Apogee Man already has their own site. ApogeeStrong.com is where to go to get um, just directed right now. People can reach out to me directly if I can help. Um, Matt at ApogeeStrong.com. I'm absolutely glad to do so. Um, you know, the the podcast that uh, we've had the, the pleasure of having you on with our young men that we mentor um, is called The Essential Eleven. Um and so people can find there and then I'm everywhere at my name. Tim's everywhere at his name. He's the is just as crazy as you think he is, but he's just <laughs> he's just as good of a human yeah. uh, as he is too. So um we're here to help, man. Well well listen, I, I wanna I first of all I, I wanna thank you not only for being on the show, but also, you know, doing doing what you're doing. I, I think it's actually critical. I, I've I've stressed this so many times when I, I've talked with people about t- politics. Um, when I've talked to people about culture or or whatnot, I said, you know, you you can fix most of the problems facing the country in a generation, but you're not going to fix it apart from the family and and parents actually taking responsibility for what their roles and responsibilities are. Um, and and I I just think that's I think that's paramount. And the more people that are standing into this space that are saying there is a way to do it differently, is critical, because people will hold on to the lie. You can tell them it's a lie all day. You can show them logically how it's a lie, but they will hold on to the lie until you give them something else to jump to. And so the the work you're doing in that space is incredibly important. So Apogee Strong, I encourage everyone to go on and take a look. I've been on their website. It, it is amazing the group of people that they have to come on, to coach, to mentor. Um, you're you're going to recognize a lot of, a lot of names on there of people that have, have just had some incredible life experiences and, and they're pouring into this program because they want to be able to share it. Right. If you, if you ever want an opportunity to talk with some people that are incredibly successful, they've got everything from, you know, military folks, entrepreneurs, comedians. I mean, you name it, they've got it. And, and these people are pouring into this system because they, they see the value in it. And again, if, if you're <laughs> there, there ain't a single politician or election cycle that's going to save the country, but I absolutely, it's going to, it's going to be saved by, by men and women, husbands and wives, mothers and fathers that are coming together, taking this seriously and and not buying into this narrative that they've got to fix things that are fundamentally broken, but rather rediscover the way things actually work and to be able to live it out in their own lives, whether it's their education, whether it's their marriage, whether it's their profession. And when they do that, that's going to provide, that's going to provide the safe place for people to escape to when they realize that they've been lied to. So Matt, Thank you very much. Also, make sure you follow uh, Matt Boudreaux on social media, on Instagram, whatnot. He's, he's got some great content up there as well. Apogee Strong, go check it out. Once again, thank you to all of our listeners. Thank you to Matt, and we will see you next episode.